This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. Just three blocks from the Wall Street Journal office in Midtown Manhattan, tucked in among office buildings and Broadway theaters, is a strange kind of billboard. It says National Debt Clock. It has 14 yellow digits that tick up as the national debt rises. I thought about this clock when I was talking with my colleague John Hilsenrath, who covers economics. You know how there's that national debt clock near the office? Mm-hmm. It's kind of stressful to see because you see these numbers going up and you're feeling like this is a bad thing. That clock must be going crazy right now. It must be. The debt clock is going crazy because thanks to the coronavirus, the federal government is in a crisis. What happens when there's a crisis is that the government goes into emergency mode on spending. Relief is on the way for millions of Americans, meanwhile, an historic $2 trillion coronavirus relief package is expected to help small businesses and individuals. The $2 trillion relief package for the coronavirus pandemic includes $260 billion in expanded unemployment benefits. The U.S. president announcing the Paycheck Protection Act. What this is, is a plan that consists of about $350 billion in small business loans. The government also made a decision to send checks directly to households through the Internal Revenue Service. So these are all different kinds of emergency programs that the government is putting in place to get through this crisis when the economy just came to a sudden, grinding, historic halt. To finance all this emergency spending, the federal government is borrowing trillions of dollars. It's counting on that money to solve a short-term problem. But our relationship to this debt will be anything but short-term. Today on the show, what it means when the federal government is racking up record levels of debt. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Tuesday, May 12th. Before the coronavirus crisis, the U.S. economy was in its longest expansion in modern history. But at the same time, the U.S. debt was also at a historic high. And it was rising, which was unusual, because usually this far into an expansion, deficits are shrinking. But it was actually growing at larger and larger proportions before the virus even got to our shores. After the pandemic hit, the government suddenly had lots of new costs. And its main source of income dried up. We took an enormous hit in revenue in April because the federal government delayed tax payments. April 15th came and went, and many Americans didn't have to file their tax returns. With its income plummeting and the cost of fighting the virus rising, the federal government had to borrow a lot of money. And fast. The Treasury Department came out and said it would borrow $3 trillion— In the second quarter alone. Is 
that kind of borrowing at the federal level something you could have imagined a few months ago? These numbers are astonishing. We've never seen anything like it. To raise these trillions of dollars, the government issued treasury bills and bonds, essentially IOUs. All kinds of investors in the U.S. and abroad buy these bonds because they're seen as a safe bet, especially in a crisis. But in this particular crisis, the federal government also had an unusually active buyer of its bills and bonds, the Federal Reserve, the U.S.'s own central bank. The Fed's power is enormous, in fact. You could argue it's almost limitless. It can buy as much Treasury debt as it wants. When the federal government needs to borrow a lot of money cheaply and quickly, the Fed can step in to buy Treasury bonds. And that's for one simple reason. The Fed actually creates the money. If you take out a $10 bill and look across the top of it, it says Federal Reserve Note. My dad used to say this to me when I was a kid. Money doesn't grow on trees. You know, he was trying to get me to be responsible for my finances. Money doesn't grow on trees, but it does grow at the Federal Reserve. If the Fed needs to buy U.S. government debt, it effectively just prints the money. It's been doing that on a massive scale in these past months. They expanded their holdings by nearly $2 trillion in just a matter of two months. We've never seen anything like that. For the government, taking on this debt right now doesn't feel so much like a choice. People and businesses need it to survive financially. But after this crisis is over, those trillions of dollars of debt will still be there. And conventional economic wisdom has warned about the dangers of this kind of huge outstanding debt. The ivory tower orthodoxy is that if you do too much of this, if you run your deficits too high, it's going to cause you problems. One of those problems is something economists call crowding out. It's the fear that if the federal government goes onto the market and, like in this case, borrows huge amounts of money, it'll crowd out the other players who also want to borrow money. When the government goes out and borrows a lot of money, it's kind of got sharp elbows and it's pushing aside the corporate sector and it's pushing aside the household sector. And by borrowing so much itself, it's making it harder for others to borrow. And by competing with other borrowers for a limited supply of funds, the federal government could do even more damage. It could drive up interest rates, making borrowing more expensive for everybody. This is what economists worry about. And for non-economists, just regular people who are managing their own money, there's a gut instinct that having a lot of debt is wrong. John calls this Main Street orthodoxy. My dad taught me to balance the books. Don't spend more than you have the means to spend. And I think it bothers people in their gut that the federal government is borrowing all this money uh, and accumulating all this debt when, you know, we grew up kind of learning that you got to pay your bills. It's fundamentally unsound, I think, to a lot of households. But now some economists are starting to argue that the old theories and our very own guts may be wrong. Because a decade ago, the Fed did a lot of the same things it's doing now. After the 2007-2008 financial crisis, the Fed went out and bought trillions and trillions of dollars worth of U.S. Treasury bonds. The national debt skyrocketed, and some economists predicted crowding out and sky-high interest rates would happen. But then, the worst of the financial crisis passed, 
And those fears didn't materialize. After the recession, government borrowing went way up. So where was the crowding out? It didn't happen. As government borrowing soared, business borrowing also soared. There was no crowding out. And those interest rates that were supposed to soar? Interest rates came down. So this idea that more borrowing would push up interest rates didn't materialize. And what's happened in the last 10 years is these old rules that a lot of economists and bond traders live by, they haven't been working. So some economists started saying, well, maybe our theories about this are wrong. Economists went back to the drawing board to take another look at how government borrowing impacts growth. And a surprising new idea emerged. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. One weekend in 2019, a new idea about government debt entered the economic mainstream. Every year in the first weekend of January, the kind of leading lights of economics gather for their annual meetings. It's kind of classic for economists because they plan it every year for the beginning of January because there are a bunch of cheapskates and they know that that's when (laughs) the conference rates are going to be the lowest, right after the holidays. And there's a presidential address where the president of the American Economic Association gets up and speaks about something that's on his or her mind. And at the 2019 Economic Association Conference, Ben Bernanke introduced the speaker. I now have the honor and privilege to introduce the annual presidential address, which will be given by Olivier Blanchard. Blanchard is a kind of a luminary who is a top economist at the MIT Economics Department, one of the top economics departments in the world. And he also was the chief economist for the International Monetary Fund. Uh, Olivier, of course, is is a macroeconomist, and he's written on basically every issue in macroeconomics, including models on the effects of government debt, which I think will be part of his topic today. Blanchard gets up at the AEA meeting and says, you know what, we might have been wrong about how we thought about government debt for a long time. So it's not as if I want more debt, but I want to say that if there is more debt, maybe that's not the end of the world. And he laid out, you know, a new theory, which was basically that as long as the interest rate on the debt is lower than the growth rate of the economy, then we can tolerate more borrowing. And what that means is as long as your economy is growing faster than your borrowing costs, 
then you could kind of grow along with all your debt and it won't squeeze you. And how did economists react to this? The observation surprised people. And just the fact that like this was a leading light in economics, you know, who was kind of pushing back against the orthodoxy of, you know, keep your budgets in line, don't run large budget deficits, and don't run debts that get so large that they're larger than the annual economic output of the economy. Blanchard's speech showed that even among America's most elite economists, the conservatism on federal debt had changed. Here was a top economist saying that big government debts might not be as dangerous as once thought. That under certain circumstances, a government could borrow and borrow and borrow. That is, up until a point. And that point is inflation. The worry was that, well, if the government's borrowing all this money and the Fed is printing money and buying some of these bonds and facilitating all this borrowing, it's going to cause inflation. Remember, the Fed right now is essentially printing money to fund the government's borrowing. And that is trillions of dollars of newly created money entering the economy. It's going into small businesses. It's going into Americans' pockets in the form of stimulus checks. And that creates a risk. There'll be too much money out there. When there's so much money out there, the value of that money goes down, which means you have to spend more dollars to buy an Apple iPhone or a car. We've seen tragedies unfold across the centuries when the government just kind of pumped too much out there and the central bank facilitated it. It overheated the economy, destroyed the value of these currencies and caused all kinds of economic nightmares. If we do see inflation, that is the sign that the jig is up. The Fed went too far in buying the federal government's debt. And when the Fed meets next month, that's the risk they'll be discussing. One risk is that they go too far, that they buy too much government debt, that they facilitate too much money pumping into the economy, and they create an explosion of inflation. The other risk is that they don't do enough to support the government and to support the economy, and they allow the economy to descend into a deep and terrible recession. So the stakes are extraordinarily high. So, John, there are a lot of economists out there who don't see the debt that's building up as a huge risk. And it's like you can get your cake and eat it, too. But what if these economists are wrong? There's a, certainly a risk that they're wrong. And in some respects, they're steering the car through a rearview mirror because what they've seen for the last two decades is that inflation has been very low, even though the national debt has risen, and that interest rates have remained very low. And the expectation is that's going to continue to be the case. The risk is that what happens next isn't like what happened over the last couple of decades, and the Fed makes some new miscalculation. What if the economic conditions right now are different than they were in 2008? This is a different crisis. This is a pandemic. And that all the dangers that didn't come to pass then do this time. So steering the car through the rearview mirror isn't the right approach. That, that's certainly a risk. There's no question that that's a risk. And this is different than the last crisis. And I think we also have to consider the fact that there's some new danger from what the Fed and the Treasury are doing that we haven't even considered. 
The federal government isn't the only part of the U.S. economy that's racking up debt right now. Cities, businesses, and households are also taking on new debts and dealing with the fallout from old ones. For them, debt works differently. These parts of the economy don't have a central bank to buy their debt by printing money. In the next few weeks, the Journal's going to be looking at debt all throughout the economy, asking who was in debt before, who's taking on debt now, and what it means for the entire economy long after this health crisis ends. That's all for today, Tuesday, May 12th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We come out every weekday afternoon. And by the way, happy birthday, Ryan. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.